Well, I almost died last night. Actually, I didn't almost die. I didn't even get hurt. <laughs> That's the Ron White bit. Right? What did, what did, what was the rest? Oh, yeah, that's right. He was flying on a small airplane, I think. And it's weird. It just, it just occurred to me. I, I used to listen to a lot of, uh, Henry Rollins. You remember that guy? Here we go. This guy. Oh, uh, that's what's up. Oh, he did, like, Spoken word. I think you're gonna live your life alone in darkness and seclusion. Henry Rollins. Yeah, I know. It was like he wanted to be a stand up comedian, but he just wasn't funny. And it just left (laughs) you full of humiliated confusion. But the feeling of loneliness never leaves you, it haunts you everywhere you go. Anyway. (laughs) I had like some spoken word stuff of his and I recall he talked about airplanes flying on small airplanes it seems to be a common element of stand-up comedy I mean a lot of famous comics they fly around a lot and it's almost like being a musician where you know you, you struggle to write new stuff that isn't just like the old stuff so you have to draw from your life experience, right? Try to find things interesting to talk about and and make them funny somehow. But I was driving on the highway last night, doing about 65 miles an hour, and suddenly not one, but two deer right in my travel path about, oh, I don't know, a hundred feet in front of me. And so I did the only thing that I could do, which was slam on the brakes. And I slid and fishtailed and came. I didn't actually have to come to a complete stop because I reacted quickly enough that I stopped ish (laughs) about 20 feet from them honked my horn and they took off. And I just thought, I'm glad that's not a kid. It's like one of my, I mean, I don't know if you would call it a phobia, but it's one of the worst things that could happen. To me, in my life, in in anybody's life, really, this isn't groundbreaking. Running over a kid. Like, when I see a kid on a bike and I'm driving, it's like, my anxiety goes to 10. And skateboards are even worse. I've been living in this area for several years, and and it's what what all the neighbors say, what all the natives say. Everybody hits a deer. And I feel like talking about it now, I'm cursing myself. Today, I will hit a deer. (laughs) No, knock on wood. I want to put that negative energy out into the universe. But my anxiety was a little bit bit more elevated yesterday because 
Halloween. You know, it was it was the day. All the kids running around in the dark. And it just isn't like it like it used to be. It isn't like it, it trick-or-treating isn't like it was when I was of trick-or-treating age. You couldn't just you can't just set out in the neighborhood like you could, you know, 30 years ago. <laughs> and I don't really know why that is. I mean, honestly. I know a lot of people don't. They don't come to the door. They're off doing their own trick-or-treating. They don't have candy. They're religious. And they don't celebrate Halloween because, you know, All Hallows' Eve, it's demonic. It's demonic to dress up like a fairy and go collect candy from people that are giving it out for free. It's interesting how we graft that kind of thing on to, to holidays. I mean, it's been... It's been happening since I don't I don't know the beginning of religion is that too dramatic does that go too far back into history I probably talked about it on the show before but completely alienated a a potential friend at work because I brought up to him that the Christian holidays align with pagan holidays And the reason for that, as I remember it, is because there were church leaders that were being pressured by higher church leaders to convert the people. And what they ended up doing instead of actually converting the people was just saying, okay, for the winter solstice pagan celebration, we're going to celebrate Christmas. And for the spring solstice celebration, we're going to celebrate Easter. And I'm, I'm paraphrasing. Obviously, because I'm not, I'm not trying to get deep into it. And I can understand how this information would be very offensive to people that believe the reason that we celebrate Easter is because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ in Christianity. And go, a ha- go hold on to that. Go right ahead. No judgment here. And in exchange for me not judging you, about you celebrating pagan holidays and claiming that you're celebrating your own holiday. I can take my kids out to collect candy from strangers. (laughs) And what is that? If somebody rolls up with a van and a bag full of candy, it's not okay. But you can take your kid from house to house to get candy from strangers, and that is okay. It kind of sends... It's a mixed messaging, I think. And also, I mean, don't even, okay. Candy itself, so I, I'm, I'm trying to stay away from sugar, right? And I, I do pretty good. I mean, obviously not around this time of year. 
But generally, I'm trying to cut sugar out of my diet. Because, you know, it's bad. It makes you fat, gives you diabetes, rots your teeth, all the cliches. And I had, I, I went several days without any sugar. I mean, I drink black coffee for crying out loud. I know, I'm a real masochist. <laughs> and I had something sweet. I don't even remember what it was after weeks. And no joke, I was high from sugar. And then it got me thinking, you know, like the, the way that we dose our, our medications or our illicit drugs. Alcohol is a better example. One beer affects people differently, right? And we don't remember how things affected us when we were five. But if you take just that concept of, of even the size of your body, I mean, I drink one beer, it affects me differently than if my wife drinks one beer. Now, now translate that to a candy bar for your toddler. And then imagine what we're doing to our kids when we fill them up with candy. And then look at how they react. I mean, there was obviously an epidemic of child abductions happening sometime in history where people were luring kids into their vans with candy because kids have such a hard-on for candy that they're willing to do anything. Jerry Seinfeld has a bit about it. Candy was my whole life when I was a kid. That was first 10 years of my life. I think the only clear thought I had was get candy. <laughs> that was it. Family, friends, school. Kids are obsessed. Obstacles in the way of the candy. I'm out for the candy here. I'm just thinking, get candy, get candy, get candy, get candy, get candy. That's why you have to teach kids not to take candy from a stranger if they're playing in a playground because there's such candy moron. Because it's like heroin. This man has candy. I'm going with him. Goodbye. I don't care what happens to me. Get candy, get candy, get candy, get candy. Don't go. They'll torture you. They'll kidnap you. It doesn't matter. He has an old Henry. I have to take that chance. Get candy, get candy, get candy. And why is that? Why is that, do you think? Because of how sugar and, and the other chemicals, probably. It's not the only addictive chemical that exists in our food. But it's definitely the one that we're introduced to at the youngest age. And I really don't... <clears throat> there's a really satisfying aspect of having children which is it's their excitement it's one of the only redeeming qualities of having children actually oh they're excited they're excited to get this present they're excited for christmas they're excited for their birthday and they're excited for candy and even at a, at the youngest i mean just barely able to eat solid food age of a child. They get a taste of that candy and their eyes light up. Or anything. I mean, cookies, candy, cupcakes. 
any massive sugar load and their eyes light up and they, they, I mean, because it's because of what happens in the brain. I mean, it's why, I mean, people can get addicted to anything because of what happens in their brain. You win a hand of blackjack and you won 50 bucks and you get that dopamine hit and then you're chasing it. It's like a recent episode of The Sopranos that I've been watching. And it's the same thing with any kind of addiction. You crave the drug, not because you want the drug, but because you want the high. The drug could be anything. Really just trying to activate your brain in the way that it was activated the last time when you felt amazing. And now we're too old to remember what it felt like the first time we ate that candy bar. But I'm willing to bet that it's a sensation similar to smoke and crack. I mean, it has to be, right? Look at those kids. When they get the pinata, right? And they smack that pinata for the last time and it breaks open and the candy spills onto the ground and all the kids turn into zombies from The Walking Dead. They all run and they crowd around the pile of candy and they're down on their hands and knees just <laughs> and they're they're literally not reachable until all the candy is gone and, and don't you think that's a bad sign I mean I'm not trying to be a downer it's great let's celebrate Halloween Let's let our kids enjoy themselves, right? We're, and be a, a parent, you know, don't let them make themselves sick from eating the candy. But when my kids were first born and I was faced with parenting, tasked with being a father, I have to be responsible, I have to teach my kids how to be adults, I didn't, I didn't want to expose them to that kind of stuff because personally, I have a problem. I have a problem with self-control as it relates to food. Because food is delicious. And I love it. And I get that dopamine hit from eating delicious food. I didn't want my kids to have to suffer through that kind of thing. Struggle with their weight. Struggle with self-control. And ultimately, I just had to resolve to try and teach them to control themselves and more appropriately to, to teach them that just because it's called food doesn't mean it's good for your body. And, and I, I don't really know. Like, you can't really teach your five-year-old that there are evil corporations that exist Simply to profit off of you and your addiction to candy. <laughs> and they don't care if they're putting unhealthy things into the food. They just want you to buy it and to keep buying it. 
And if it's cheaper to put a harmful chemical into your food, they will do it. It's kind of a heavy conversation for a kindergartner. So I think trust is probably the most important thing. Because, I mean, if, if your kid doesn't trust you, you blew it. You've lost. How are you supposed to guide your child if they don't trust you? That's why honesty is so important because the loss of trust can be devastating. And we're experiencing that right now. With the loss of trust in the loss of trust in all of our institutions. Can you trust what the government says? No, can you trust what the media says? No, can you trust what these health institutions like the FDA and the CDC, can you can you trust what they say? No. How am I ever gonna go to the doctor again and believe what they tell me I need? And, and they might not even know that they're lying to me. They're, they're prescribing the treatment that they were taught was the best treatment for me. But then now, we've, now we find out that the teachers, the people that we're supposed to trust... the people that have carved our paths to the future were lying. And the government is backing them up the whole way. It's this article here from the Wildfire Newsletter by Kyle Becker. It's a substack. He's a great journalist. Headline, quote, it's all up to the judge now. Pfizer gate COVID vaccine fraud case is in jeopardy of being dismissed. The final motion to stop the Pfizer gate COVID vaccine fraud case from being dismissed has been submitted to the judge and it's all up to the judge now. This is according to the whistleblower in the case, Brooke Jackson, who provided the court documents and spoke to wildfire news. Now, the rest of the article is a lot of legal jargon, and I'm almost out of time. But basically, this lawsuit alleges that Pfizer lied to the FDA, and we have evidence of this, but that they lied to the FDA regarding the results of their trials to get this emergency use authorization. And the prosecutor, Brooke Jackson, makes a few claims here. Uh, clinical trial participants were given their second injection outside of the protocol mandated 19 to 23 day window. On at least four occasions, the vaccine concentrate was over diluted, which directly affects potency and reduces potential side effects. Ventavia, that's the name of the site where the studies were happening, failed to report serious adverse events to Pfizer and ICON, though that information was available via the clinical trial participants electronic diary entries. This is perhaps the most egregious violation, not only of the uh, clinical trial protocol, but of public trust. 
Ventavia's documentation practices were careless, sloppy, inaccurate, and many times falsified. Pfizer had access to this data and equally failed its oversight responsibilities, which rightfully draws the presumption that data from other clinical trials is just as bad, if not worse. Which brings me to my point. Or I suppose it's more of a question to you. How is your infant or your 18-month-old supposed to tell you how they feel after getting an injection with one of these vaccines? Not to min- not just the COVID vaccine, any vaccine. And is that why our kids are all vaccinated at such a young age? That's up to you. Thanks for listening. Please share the show. Follow me on social media. Send me an email and have a great day. I'll be back. Goodbye.